I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball. Okay, it's a great day for a ball game. And I have to tell you, I am super excited to speak with today's guest. He is both... All right, so I hope you're ready for this. This is a good long intro here. He is both a small business owner as well as one of the co-founders of a major financial tech company and is that is rapidly changing the industry for small to medium-sized businesses. He's raised on the East Coast, grew up in a large loving family, connecting with people in a meaningful way was ingrained in our guest from the very beginning. After graduating from the esteemed Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, our guest decided he didn't want to go to the investment banking business so much as he wanted to go into the restaurant business. And in 1991, at the age of 21, he headed west to California, used his entire life savings, opened his first bagel cafe near the campus of UC Santa Barbara, and then a second bagel cafe opened four years later, and then a third deli restaurant followed. Through a unique customer experience and interaction, he recognized an opportunity, and in 2000, he founded Eye Solutions in Chicago with two partners, which was his first financial tech company. In 2017, he co-founded his second fintech company called Spot On, and Spot On is currently one of the fastest-growing software and payment companies in the industry, offering modern systems and technology for small and medium-sized businesses across multiple models and venues and industries. He's an entrepreneur, co-founder, chief product officer at Spot On, owner of Cafe Bagel, and father of two children, residing on the north side of Chicago. Please welcome to the show, Darone Friedman. Darone, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks, Randy. Glad to be here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, super exciting. So here's the first question. I have to ask you this. You're in Chicago. You're on the north side. Do we share a love for the Cubs? Oh, I, I do like the Cubs, I have to tell you. I grew up in Miami Beach. We didn't have a baseball team. We were all about football, basketball. Uh, the only team that I actually loved early on, I remember Reggie Jackson and the Yankees. I, was, I just loved watching Reggie Jackson. So I had this infatuation with the Yankees because we didn't have a team. Uh, lo and behold, uh, you know, we, we got the Miami Marlins now, I guess, the Florida Marlins. Uh, you know, they changed uh, their names a few times, but I work. And uh, the irony is, is they ended up winning World Series. Yeah. Before the Cubs did. Before the Cubs did. Before the Cubs did, uh, I know. That was the craziest thing. Uh, uh, rub it in. That's so, fun. Yeah. But I do love going to the Cubs games. Uh, I was so fascinated that when I was in the stadium, I went with an investor for the first time when I moved to Chicago, and they were playing the White Sox. Uh, actually, I have a great baseball story. The first time I actually ever saw a baseball game, in my life was in Chicago mm. and it was a Cubs against uh, the White Sox and we hosted our clients on a rooftop. Oh yeah. And so for the first three innings, 
I had to go and socialize with everybody. I couldn't even watch the game. Yeah. And because I was hosting everybody. And then all of a sudden I walk up to the edge and there is Sammy Sosa lining up to go ahead of all. And the first swing of bat I ever saw in my life was a Sammy Sosa home run uh, uh, against the Cubs. Oh, that is a great story. That is a great story. Wow. First experience. And and on a rooftop too. So those are always fun. I've done a a couple of those experiences as well. And those are, that's just a party, you know, nonstop. That is absolutely the best. They are the most uh, passionate fans I've ever seen in my life. I remember when I went to that first game in person, I sat in the, uh, with the investor and they were playing the White Sox again and they ended up beating the White Sox and it's the ninth inning, uh, just ended and I was about to stand up and go and then all of a sudden he said, sit down. I'll oh, take yeah. your White Sox fan. He goes, you got to see go Cubbies go. Yeah. I was, I was fascinated. I've never seen anything like that in all my sports history. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is a fun, fun experience. Well, again, thanks for being on the show. So let's get in a little bit of your uh, background. So you grew up on the East Coast uh, in the Miami area or in Florida, and then did you move n- north to the New York area at some point? Or No, so I, I actually, yeah, I grew up in Miami Beach. Okay. I was there from age 4 to 17. Uh-huh. And uh, then I went to the Wharton School, okay. and I never came back. Then I went to Santa Barbara, California, and yeah. I lived there for 13 and a half. Well, that's a beautiful place right there. It is. Uh, so you're very close with your family. I think I've, I've read a lot of notes and stories in regards to the way you grew up and having people over to your house and just always sharing and conversing around the table. How did that experience impact your focus and vision in the way you approach business today? You know, when, when you think about my approach to business today, it is, first of all, I, I did grow up in a loving family. I feel like, you know, my parents had it so rough. They were all house survivors. Uh, they moved to Israel right after the war. And it really affected the way we grew up. And my, you know, my first memories as a child is war. And uh, my dad was missing in action. And they found him five days after the war. He was very sick. And we came to the United States. Uh, to go to the Mayo Clinic. Uh, he ended up, we ended up staying here. He had to retire at a very young age. He was forced into retirement. But one day we uh, flew back to Israel to visit family. And we had a little apartment there. And there was this gentleman waiting for us outside. And he waited for three days. He said, he came up to us. He says, my son's getting bar mitzvah and I want you to be the guest of honor. And I asked my dad, I said, who is this person? He goes, this is, you know, this is someone who used to work for me in a diamond factory. So my dad, when he first came over from uh, Europe, he actually had to work three jobs in order to just put food on the table. It was, you know, the country didn't even have food. So that's why all of these entrepreneurs started developing is because they, they didn't have an economy. And so they had to figure it out themselves. And so eventually my dad struggled and he eventually started cutting diamonds and then on, ended up owning a diamond factory. And this worker who came, uh, you know, was waiting for us. I went to the bar mitzvah and I didn't realize that he, they sat us at a table with all his former workers. And they told me stories about my father and I never, he never talked about himself. And I found out that day that, you know, he actually, when we left, he didn't sell his diamond factory. He gave it to the employees. Mm. And unfortunately these employees, uh, they could not run the business and it went bankrupt. And so they were asking, the whole purpose was asking to come back to run the business. And that, I think, shaped my life uh, in a way that, 
when you think about having someone care, like employees care so much and want to work for you so much, it's such a special feeling. And I don't know if I'll ever be as good as my dad, but you know, that's what I strive for. At least with you know the people who work with us, make them feel like they're part of the family and and, and be sincere. That is a great story. Let's flash forward to today. Just give us, we're going to touch on spot on in greater depth here in a little bit, but can you just for our audience, give us kind of a brief description of spot on kind of the elevator pitch, if you would, and then we'll uh, touch base on a few other things. I mean, if you think about spot on, spot on is a technology, fintech technology company that really its sole purpose is to help small businesses grow to big businesses and, and to help people really run their business, whether it's restaurant, we have one of the best point of sale systems in the industry for restaurants. We have uh, a retail point of sale system as well, but it's it's a platform really. We offer you the ability to market, to do loyalty, to see your analytics, to see the reviews on your business. We really want you, if you think about it, there's three constituents to running a business. You have the business owners, the management, you have the employees, and you have the consumers, the customers. And so our job is to build a relationship to help the business owner build the best relationship with those employees, with those customers, be able to build, build a relationship in a way that's meaningful to them. So they actually come and they purchase goods at that business. And that's really our goal here. It's a win-win, probably the best job in the world because you help, you know, entrepreneurs, they put their life savings on that and you help them. You know, you help them protect their business, protect uh, their employees from keeping their jobs, especially in this pandemic time. It was a, it was a calling, you know, we're, we're telling everybody, if you're going to work hard, this is the time to do it. These businesses need you. And we need to, to, to show that empathy and we need to do everything we can to save these businesses. I think it's so great. And one of the things I love about you and Spot On uh, specifically is, you know, all of this and your purpose and your vision of Spot On really began in germinating in your early experience as an entrepreneur. I mean, you were on the front lines. You were a small business. I'm going to go and start my own thing right here. And you understand, I guess, what it's like to be on Main Street, the challenges that are there, and then the business that you're currently operating to be able to service those businesses. I love that. So I want to go back to kind of those early days for you. And I have a quote. I'm curious. I want to hear how this came about and then how it evolved even. So you went to, you went to school at Wharton. You moved out to California, opened your bagel cafe in Santa Barbara area, which is, again, beautiful space. And then I have this quote from your father. My son went to Wharton to become a baker, and he'll go to Harvard to become a chef. <laughs> I love that. Uh, how, did, well, how did that all transpire? And I'm curious how it all evolved. And then also, I want to hear about your thoughts on how your father influences uh, influenced you as a business owner yeah so you know my dream all the way through high school was to be an investment banker on wall street i was good in math it was my dream uh i you know i struggled a little bit to get into the Wharton school i didn't get in right away i went to university of florida for a little bit got straight a's and then applied and i got accepted and so it was a crazy feeling that Something in me, as I got my job offers, felt like 
I don't think this is what I want to do. I think I want to run a business like my dad. And my dad absolutely 100% refused for my older brother to get into become an entrepreneur or for me, he was totally against it because he struggled so much. He knew how hard it was and he knew it wasn't for everyone. And so, um, you know, coming in out of that environment and then starting a bagel place, it was very difficult. He said, I'm not helping you at all. You're on your own. You get nothing for me. Mm. And uh, so I went ahead and found a business partner and she was supposed to fund the business and I was supposed to run it. She was wealthy. I didn't have that much money. I only had a little bit. And I can't forget after I turned down my job offers, I met with her father. And her father said to me, he was a ruthless businessman, ruthless. And he basically said to me, he goes, uh, Jerome, deals change. You have to put up 50% of the money and she's going to put up 50% of the money and she's going to work. I said, that wasn't the deal. That's not what we agreed on. And uh, he said, too bad. I know you turned on your job offers. This is your only choice. And so I borrowed actually, not, I took my, my money and borrowed $10,000 for each one of my siblings, which was a lot for them to loan me. And um, I opened this business, worked my butt off. And the, you know, it didn't do well. I couldn't believe the first day of business. So, you know, this is a lesson for all business owners. I can't forget that that first day that we opened, my labor was $300 more than my sales. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. And uh, long story short, though, you know, the business struggled. And one day, the the father says, you know, she, my partner would travel all the time. And he says, uh, I'm coming to the Biltmore Hotel in Santa Barbara. I want you to meet me. And uh, we went there. And he says to me, you need to buy out my daughter. And you need to pay double. And I said, <laughs> And so this is a lesson in life of ruthlessness in business, right? And I said, why are, you, why are you doing this to me? I'm 21 years old, and here you are threatening me. He goes, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to get my Beverly Hills attorneys, and we're going to bankrupt you. And I, I thought, wow, that, that is, I was so shaken. And so you asked what my father's impact on me was. Uh, the, the irony is that right when I walked out of there, he said, you have 24 hours to make a decision. A gentleman came up to me. And he said to me, Jerome, I'm one of the most, and he said, Jerome, but he said, I'm one of the most successful business guys you'll ever meet in your life. And imagine Biltmore, Santa Barbara. And he said, I'm sorry that I overheard that conversation. He says, don't listen to the damn word that man said. You tell him to go piss off and you go do and run your business. And then his wife showed up and she goes, who is that? You know, it's a pretty bad word. And uh, I made a decision. I didn't wait 24 hours. I coughed. And... Uh, I told him, I said, look, you do what you need to go. I'm going to go run the business. You want to sue me? Go sue me. That's what makes you feel good. Go ahead and do it. And lo and behold, a week later, he sued me. His Beverly is attorney. Send me a letter. And uh, that's the first time I ever asked my father for help. Mm. You know, and I told my father what's going on. And this always tears me up because, you know, he said, go run your business. I'll take care of it. And calls me back two days later. He says, you own the business. And I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you say? He said, look, you want the, you know, I don't want my son in this business. Why don't you just give us some money back and you take the business? He said, well, we don't want the business. And he goes, well, what do you want from our lives? And uh, he did. And in the end, what happened? He said, he said, the guy said, he goes, I want to want my daughter to be like a failure. 
and says, look, we'll pay you just your money back. And you pay the extra, you know, uh, $35,000, whatever it was. And uh, you tell her she was a success. But don't make us do it. And that's what ended up happening. Obviously, my dad, you know, having fought through five wars, the guy was very intimidated by my father. And so the deal was signed. And that's really, that shaped my, my, my life a lot in business. I know there's some bad actors out there. And I said, I never want to be that man. Yeah. I want to be able to treat people with kindness honesty, sincerity, and I will never threaten people. You muster on in the business, get over that incredible hurdle. And you were doing everything. I mean, you were, I, I'm, I'm only imagining a bagel shop, but, and especially in the early days, you know, you're the guy coming in, you're baking. Are you doing all of that? You're like, I'm putting in the 12, 15 uh, hour days, whatever it takes kind of guy. Yeah, we paid a, a, an East Coast baker, you know, uh, $5,000 to help us, you know, and so we'll give you, we'll work free for you for the summer. And we learned how to make bagels the old-fashioned way in New York. And I had this great idea. I thought it was an amazing idea that I'm going to have a bagel place. It's also going to be a cafe that's open till late at night. And I came in, I did the doughs, I baked the bagels, I rolled the bagels, I serviced the customer, I did wholesale deliveries. And then we closed the cafe at 11 o'clock at night. And I realized, I, I basically did that for four months straight, so I fainted in front of the oven. And I didn't realize, okay, I got to stop doing everything. I cut down my hours. We were just open till like three o'clock because the late night hours weren't working anyways. And I went ahead and let the bakers and trusted people to do work, which was, you know, critical. Um, that was a, you know, doing everything is failure. You got it find people you can trust. And that's when things started going well. After I brought out my partner, business started to boom because I wasn't baking anymore and doing the wholesale. I was interacting with customers. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you gotta love talking to your customers. You gotta love your customers. You gotta listen to your customers. And I loved it. It brought, it brought me such joy. But, you know, it wasn't great for my social life because everybody called me the bagel man. But, uh, <laughs> you know, wherever I went, Los Angeles, New York, we became a pretty famous place. Uh, people, I run into people and they call me the bagel man. It's pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I love that you mentioned about that you got to love your customers because we've had so many of our guests really kind of hammer that home as well and just talk about how you have to communicate, you have to talk, you have to engage with your customers uh, continuously in order to really understand their needs, their wants, and how you can solve their, uh, their, their challenges or provide a solution for them. I love that you're in Santa Barbara. I can just imagine. We were just there a few years ago, and uh, it's such a great space. I can imagine, you know, college town, you're hanging out there and stopping in, go, let's go uh, grab a bagel. So you ran this, uh, and then you expanded. So you, now you're running like two, three different shops at, at, at one point. When did it click with you in regards to technology? Because you're really on the edge, on the front end of. So in 91, you know, the internet is not, you know, throbbing at that time. And as you're in business and you begin to recognize, hey, these uh, computers and personal computers is a great thing. Here's the internet. And, and at some point you began to recognize that technology can be an asset for small businesses. What was the 
early implementation of that for you? So the implementation technology in business, uh, I didn't know technology long, I'll be honest, early on. I just knew how hard I was working and how I had to use all these different systems. It was inefficient. And, you know, when I look at technology, I watch the dot-com all around me and everybody succeeding and taking things to another level. And I remember getting this box of chocolate from one of my former managers uh, for the holidays. And it didn't have a card. It had, I know she wrote me, she used to write me the most beautiful cards and it was a little long message. And that's when I noticed there's a technology gap. And so what we went ahead and, uh, you know, I said, well, I wish there's gotta be a way to go ahead and send greeting cards with gifts. So I went online and I searched it and I saw that even the biggest retailers in the country, you couldn't do it. You either couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. Right. And, uh, one of my customers, like I said, I love to talk to customers. He was this techie and he knew so much about technology and I didn't know anything. And I said, look, I got this business idea. I don't know technology. And then basically he said, I'm going to do my own research. And he said, look, if you can, and he came back and said, if you can find investors, I will go into business with you. It's a perfect time. I know on demand printing. Uh, this guy was commissioned to work in Air Force One. He was ex-military. And then I called one of my best friends in college and I asked him, I said, look, I don't know any of your technology people. And you, he was in the management technology program at, at board schools, engineering and technology. And he started his own software company. I go, could you interview this guy for me? Now, my, my friend loved the business idea too. He says, I can do the software for you guys and I can become a partner. I said, oh, great. And he goes, but you need to find the investor because I don't have the money to do that. And uh, so I, I found the first person I actually called. I told my brother all the idea. He was a successful entrepreneur. He was a sole importer of SD Roberts in Israel. And I told him the idea. And I said, he goes, look, I want to invest. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you need to get your confidence up and you need to go for it. And so he invested not a lot, not a ton of money, but he invested money. And we started this business. And uh, I, just like I did with my bagel place, I, I found a product that works in other situations, right? That's what the bagel store. I, had, I was on the East Coast and I saw, visit all my friends at university campuses, all my bagel restaurants. None of the university campuses on the West Coast, I had to go from the West Coast, had uh, bagel places. So I said, this is a gold mine. I need to do this. The same thing, really, the way, that's how I came up with my first technology business. I said, Every gift I get that's not sent through the internet has a greeting card. So it's time to apply what people do in real life to the internet. And that's how we started the business. So that was, that was arrow eye, right? That was arrow eye. Arrow eye. So very cool. So now let's move forward in through today's world. And so now um, you're rolling with spot on. And let me go back to the quote, I think, um, on spot on uh, in the description. Spot on is one of the fastest growing software and payment companies with comprehensive cloud-based technology for small, medium-sized, and enterprise businesses in the restaurant, retail, sports, education, and entertainment space. You founded Spot On then in 2017 with a couple of guys, and now 
what's the world of spot on today? Uh, you went from zero, I'm assuming, as most, you know, day one of any business to what do you have now? Something like over 30,000 businesses, clients, customers that you work with? Yeah, I, I, it's, you have to pinch yourself, really, right? Um, it is one of the fastest growing companies. It's obviously, it's a different level of stress and you have to really care. It, it still comes back to your customers. The reason we grew so fast is it was really scary when the pandemic hit. We had like, when, when everything shut down that March and we were like, we met, what are we going to do? Our biggest competitor at that time laid off half their staff. They just raised 600, 300 or 600 million. I don't remember the amount. And they laid off half their staff. And, you know, we said to ourselves, these businesses need us. And it's what I said before. And I think that decision to not fire people and that decision to comp and give money back to the businesses really changed the trajectory of our business. And even in the middle of the pandemic, all of a sudden, a month after, no, April was terrible. Uh, May, we hit record numbers. June, we hit record numbers. And we just started launching technology and figuring out ways to help these businesses. So we did online ordering because people were no longer coming into restaurants. So we had to launch online ordering a little earlier than we were ready. But we said, let's get it out there. They, something's better than nothing. And these businesses are so creative, so adaptive. They were using our technology in ways it wasn't intended to, to help themselves grow. And uh, it, it was absolutely fabulous to watch these businesses. It gave us more confidence in that emphasis on the customer, that empathy that our team showed really, I think, resonated with businesses, small businesses. And we felt their pain. I owned a small business. My business shut down. I still own it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was closed. So we had to figure out, you know, my sales went to almost nothing. And uh, so we knew we felt the pain on the front lines. Mm. I rattled off all of these different industries. You're in restaurants, in business, in education, even, uh, uh, which I find kind of fascinating as well. But you really are across all industries, though. Yeah. So we, we really believe in supporting most businesses. We're not, you know, we're not perfect for every kind of business, mm. but we separate our world into restaurants retail and services, basically businesses. So think about services or any business that's a spa, a salon, uh, your pool cleaning, anybody that needs appointments, um, that's a services business. And retail could be a retail shop, clothing shop. It could be uh, a laundromat. It could be anything. Uh, it could be an auto shop. We do really well in auto. Uh, so when when you think about the business, we separate into those two categories. But the folk, we have this focal platform. It's, called, it's our shared services, basically, where we give you the ability to market to your customers. We give you loyalty so you know you know which customers stop coming in. Most businesses don't know which mm. customers stop walking into their retail stores. And we recently, you know, added you know we had also we had reviews before when we first started the company, but we recently created our own point of sale system. Omnichannel from the ground up for retail. So the reason we did that was we noticed that a lot of business out there either started online and then tried to get into brick and mortar, and some started in retail and then ended up purchasing e-commerce companies, some of these larger companies. And we said, it's just too difficult. It's not connected. And so what we did is we built 
a omnichannel solution where we do your websites, but if you want us to, we have e-commerce, we have uh, a point of sale for your, for your retail shop. And we said to ourselves, if we can build something from the ground up to make it so simple, stupid simple for anybody to use, that's what we need to create, but it needs to be powerful. So the idea is, is that you can go ahead and say, I want to, you know, I create a catalog and say, this is my catalog and you say, I want to sell these items at the farmer's market. I want to sell this item at my retail store. This item, these are my prices for e-commerce because my shipping costs are really high. And we just make it so easy for you to pick those different channels and really create your catalog and sell. Mm-hmm. And that that's, and then we, and obviously once you start coming in, we start learning about your customers and then you can start marketing them. You can give them a loyalty offering. And so we sit there, all we think about is how do we take that business and empower them to grow it? And that's really our focus. Mm-hmm. Through all of that, as, as you're reciting all the great things that you're doing, and in my mind, I come back to some of your uh, earlier comments about engaging uh, with customers uh, and the importance of that. And the services that you're providing for these small businesses and enterprises is that you really are removing barriers from the business owners from engaging with our customers. So you're taking all of that technology, all of those obstacles about, you know, so I'm in digital marketing and I know I talk to people like, I don't know anything about a website. I don't know, you know, how to do this or did it do that? And, you know, it becomes a, a burden for the business owner and you provide a solution, an all encompassing solution that they can go online and and deliver services and goods, create a platform for their customers. So it removes those barriers then on that engagement. So I think it's, it's great that it's really holds true to the core of what you really wanted to do at the very beginning, that very first bagel that you dunked into the fryer or a boiler or whatever it boiler. is. <laughs> you have to boil bagels. Real bagels, you boil them and you put them on two by fours. Oh, oh you there. You in a gas rotating oven. Uh, you uh, you it, do it, know it, your it, stuff. That's good. I do know. I can still make a bagel. I can still make a bagel. I want to talk a little bit about culture. And I have this great quote from one of your partners that says, we really try to do business with empathy. That's one of our core values is keep it simple and be the merchant. Can you elaborate on that? Maybe talk a little bit about the culture, both internally in your company and as well, the culture that you have with your customers. So. We have, as you said, well over 30,000 businesses that we work with. And we haven't struggled as entrepreneurs. My partners are selling candy out of, a, out of a truck in high school. They didn't grow up wealthy and they struggled as well. So we both had those early struggles as entrepreneurs. It was tough. And so we, ha- we know what these businesses are feeling. When you fade in front of an oven and you're stuck in the weeds that you can't grow your business and and I know that these business owners are doing the same thing. Our job is to make it as simple as possible for them to connect with their customers. We need to, you know, I, I, that empathy is driven to all of my colleagues. Every one of the people who are on our team, they have to speak to customers. When their customers are down or something's not working or there's an issue, we get involved. I was on a call yesterday with a customer. There was an outage that we weren't even related to us. Uh, you know, if the network went down and, and the, the customer is really frustrated. My partner, the co-CEO, and I'm the chief product officer and one of my head of, of, of PLS, point of sale for restaurants, 
we got on the phone. I mean, imagine we get on phone calls with customers all the time. We get on phone calls with the sales rep representing it on the front lines of those customers. That's the only way you learn. When you when you listen to frustrations, that's how you make your product better. And I am so proud of our team that they really are passionate about connecting with our customers, learning from them, helping them. And you know, we have this, you know, you see the responses usually they say on it. Just simple. We're on it. And that's what we did yesterday. This person had an issue and he wanted to do changes and we were on it. So you've had this incredible growth, some of which organically, some of which I think over the last couple of years you've done, have done some acquisitions, some mergers, bringing on some new partnerships. That is a challenge. You've gone, you've raised more money from an investment standpoint as well. I think now the company's valued at, I don't know, I'll say 3 billion is a number that we came up with back in September. And this is just in a number of years, like five years or something like that. That is a significant run rate. How have you guys been able to manage that and keep the momentum going and keep everything running in the right direction? I think you just have to have a strategy and a mission you know, to help these businesses. If you're focused on creating world-class products, having world-class customer service, you're basically all that you get everybody aligned with that mission to go ahead and help these businesses succeed and scale that drives everybody into the, the right direction. Is it easy? No. Acquisition is difficult. You talked about how we got into baseball and, and, and football, and we bought this company called Appetize, which has over, what, 60% of all the sports centers. We thought of, you know, we knew what it was like to be an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur believes, how do I get from one business to a thousand businesses? And they always have that dream. They want to say, I'm going to open my first business, but I'm going to, I'm going to open two more. I'm going to open five more. And so we bought Appetize with the idea of we want to be able to have be part of that journey and that dream from a one location to a thousand locations. Mm. And that's really our been our focus and it, it made things a little easier. And it's, if you have the empathy for your clients, if you hire the right people, I always say we hire smart, self-starting, kind people. And if you're not kind, you can't work in this company. And so having that mission, and we don't lose that many people. On my product team, I haven't lost a person a year and a half in technology. That's really rare. But it's these colleagues. I have to give all the credit to my colleagues. I mean, they're unbelievable. They work hard. They care about our customers. And that's what drives us. I appreciate that you uh, mentioned appetize because I love baseball, obviously, and kind of running with the bases uh, as a theme of our show. So you guys are, you know, that particular business opened up quite a bit of new um, venues, I'll say for you, which is in sports stadiums and college campuses and and that uh, type of uh, enterprise. I, from what I understand, you are in Dodger Stadium, Yankee Stadium. Are you serving the Cubs as well? Are you in yeah, Wrigley? You, not in Wrigley yet, and I, I really hope we will be soon. Uh, I'll do what I can to help you. We, you know? we, we, we met with them, so uh, I love that. Would be a dream to, 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 to for in Chicago, going to the Cubs games and seeing your pride there. It, it would be so amazing. That would be and, the best, uh, right? But but I did get to you know as a kid, I wanted to go to Yankee Stadium. Now it's a new Yankee Stadium, but I finally got to go to Yankee Stadium. Because after we purchased, I, I went to a MetLife, I went to Yankee Stadium, I got yeah. to 
really neat. And I went to Madison Square Gardens, things I've never done in my life, and met the people who run these businesses. And they have such a difficult job. Mm. Could you imagine a football team has to make money? They have like 24 hours a year to make money. And it's so critical that your product helps them do that. But yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is a good transition. So you're, I'll say you're relatively new. You didn't maybe grow up with uh, loving baseball, but so it is that time of the show, though, that we call. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right. It's the seventh inning stretch here, Dorian. So this is where we get to ask you a little bit about uh, baseball. And if there's something that, uh, you know, our research team goes through and they go and find out some stuff kind of relative to your niche, being that your roots, we will say, are in uh, food and in the bagel industry. Uh, so we kind of went back and followed that route. And so we started looking at food in the MLB. You know, we could not find any stadium. So this may be something for you, another uh, venture possibly. Could not find any stadium that mentions bagels, uh, that they're offering bagels or a bagel shop in the stadium. There's so many food venues, right? Nobody that we could find anyway that had uh, bagels. We did go, and I did mention to you, I went on, line and went, uh, I love the Eagle, the Eagle Plus. I think that's what I would be ordering. Somebody on our team was like, they'd like the Earth, Wind and Fire bagel that you're <laughs> offering. So you got some good stuff. All right. So here's, here's uh, where we're coming around the uh, seventh inning stretch. MLB Food Fan Fest. Have you ever heard of that? It's relatively I new, have, actually. I have not, to be honest. Oh, with you. Uh, so yeah. evidently they started this back in uh, 2018 in New York, and it's a two-day. I would love. I would take tickets to this thing all day long. Two-day MLB tasting event that showcases ballpark food, and each of the 30 nationwide ballparks bring their signature dish or entree. And then if you're attending as a fan, you can go around and taste them along with all of the other kinds of fun MLB things that they would bring. So that is the, the food fan fest. So they had it in uh, New York in 2018, Los Angeles in 2019. And as I said, there was no bagels going on there. A lot of sandwiches, of course, and you can imagine, you know, cheese steaks, from, yeah, cheese steaks from Philadelphia, the Permani brothers out of Pittsburgh, uh, Buena Beef in Chicago, right? Um, uh, so here's the question for you. Which stadium brought the deli pastrami sandwich? One stadium brought a signature sandwich that might be close to your heart. It was the deli pastrami sandwich. Yeah, I love pastrami. Do you know, do you know who, who brought it or, or maybe what stadium even or what team brought it? You know, it's it, the, look, the, the guess that I would have, first of all, we bought Appetites in September of last year. So this is a kind of a new business for me. Yeah. And, uh, I'm learning still a lot. But if I, you know, the, the natural guess would be the Yankees or the Mets, but I don't think you'd be asking me that question if, if it were the Yankees or the Mets. So my guess is Detroit. <laughs> 
I love that, dude. You're like, I don't think he'd be asking me if it was the Yankees. Well, I'm sorry. It is the Mets. Uh, <laughs> and then I think, well, maybe we shouldn't have asked you that one. Yes. So it's uh, Jonah's Deli. Uh, um, and they actually fly their corned beef and pastrami in from Chicago and a bunch of other stuff um, that they bring in. They fly it in overnight and they smoke it. And I, I have some notes in here about the way that they do it is that it takes that they come in like 20 hours. Yeah, here it is. The team gets there, their pastrami, their, their cooks at the stadium, get there 20 hours before the gates open, and then they start to smoke and braise the pastrami. Uh, yeah, so, so real pastrami. So they probably get, if they get it from Chicago, they probably get it from Vienna. We used to do that in my deli as well. Uh, and it's called double steaming your pastrami. So you get a pastrami from Vienna, and then you steam it the night before, and then uh, for like an hour and a half, two hours. And then the next day, you would come in, and at the time, you put in the steamer probably a half an hour. You put in the refrigerator after that. And then a half an hour before you start serving it, you put it in the steamer, and it makes it moist enough, but it doesn't make it so it just crumbles. So that's basically, and that's my guess is what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, I know my pastrami, as you can tell. You you know your stuff here. This is good, actually. Yeah, so you're, it's called you're, double steaming. You're still, your roots are in food. Um, yeah, and they, they do about 800 pounds uh, per game day is what they end up serving. I mean, that is a lot of pastrami. So you said it's called Jonas, because my, 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 my first deli is called Babel Cafe and Jonas Deli yeah. in, in Santa Barbara. Well, that that's the place in uh, at, at Med Stadium is uh, Jonas. That's so ironic. Yeah, that is so ironic. Isn't that crazy? All right. Well, let's get back into it. Play ball. So, uh, Darone. So you mentioned a, a bit about the pandemic, and and we talked about the sports teams. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the game has changed uh, since the pandemic. I mean, you've grown dramatically since even in those last couple of years during the pandemic, you've tripled your customer base. Do you see that this trend of small businesses embracing technology, uh, continuing pursuit of technology to aid their business? Do you see that trend, you think, continuing? Yeah. So, you know, we have a few clients that are really good representation that, if you, when the pandemic hit, they started using QR codes uh, to order at the table, to order right. to pick up. They started, uh, they started to um, do online ordering, and then all of a sudden, these businesses started opening up. And the ironic thing is, is the online ordering didn't slow down that much. Hmm. And so they needed even new technology. They needed like our pacing technology. So our biggest challenge once businesses starting opening up was. They have all these influx of orders around the same time, and then they have all their customers showing up, and they still have the same size kitchen. And so they couldn't service their customers. They couldn't get orders ready in time. So we had to build technology that basically sits, and I can only handle a certain amount of orders every 15 minutes. And that's how it's evolving. Because it's This was a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. When people went to online, to contact us, to QR, you're seeing it in the stadiums. Stadiums are cashless. You used to have hawkers who come up and down the, you know, right, right. stuff. It's cashless and there's certain laws and stuff so that you can't like in certain states, you can't give somebody a beer so you can order through a QR code and go pick it up uh, somewhere else. And so if you look at stadiums and sports stadiums, they've taken the same technology that you saw in restaurants or on sports, on sports stadiums. You have kiosks, self-service checkout. You have a QR code in the back of the seat. You scan the QR code. They know what seat you're at. 
They can deliver your food there or you can go pick it up. They know what restaurants are around you. So, you, you know, imagine there's certain restaurants that are outside of the stadium. You can't order from that stadium. So based on where you're sitting, you have to figure out the technology as to where you can actually order from. Yeah. And that's one of the unique things that Appetize does. And, and it's pretty phenomenal. I love the technology, the introduction of technology and the expansion of it through the service industry, because I'm just imagining myself, I'm at Wrigley and I need another, you know, bevy. I'm just going to scan the QR code, uh, boom, right? I'm like, it, it, it heightens my love of the game and the experience I'm having because I don't have to leave my seat. I'm like, yeah, I'm right here, you know? And yeah, I don't have to wait in line and, you know, miss and watch, you know, the game on the little 12 inch screen above the, <laughs> yeah, that is uh, amazing, I think. So what do you see around the corner for Spot On? You know, you guys have grown so much so fast. What's, you know, next year? Yeah, so I think, you know, so we have Appetizer, which is not Spot On uh, Enterprise. And we're going to go ahead and, you know, build better suite technologies and really start, you know, continue that innovation to make sure that the customer experiences at games are amazing. So that's fun on enterprise. I think the, the next set of things is how do we still add technology that allows businesses to sell anywhere they want to sell? Whether it's a ghost kitchen, whether it's you know selling at a third party, selling online, QR codes, selling at a farmer's market. How do you funnel all that in such a way that still makes it, they can grow their sales, they can still keep their service, you know, and quality up. So that's where pacing and things of that nature come in. Like right now we have pacing that does, uh, based on dollar amounts, uh, things of that nature. We need to be able to say, okay, select items are going to be paced. Like for example, if you're a pizza place, you can order as many salads as you want. It's not going to slow them down. But if you want to order, your, your, your ovens can only handle a certain amount of pizzas per hour for 15 minutes. And so we're going to get smarter and smarter with that. I think the future also is, is how do we take the data of these customers and how do we increase you know, right now? If you think about businesses, they are struggling immensely with labor, uh, getting employees to come in. They're struggling. You know, the, the, the labor has gone up every, you know, inflation, you have to pay more like California labor went up 50% minimum wage over the past, what, five, six years. How does someone who had $300,000 in labor and makes $100,000 a year deal with $150,000 of extra labor? Right. It's very difficult. So we have to use technology to make things really efficient, number one, uh, whether it's it's our handhelds, you know, something as simple as having a pre-selected tip on a handheld helps businesses keep their employees, pay their employees more without costing any money for their business. Such a simple thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to continue to do is, is really evolve that and then use AI, artificial intelligence, for those people who don't know what that is, to go ahead and learn what customers like and to increase the average purchase price. So if we can take the same amount of customers and have them spend more money, that really is going to help these businesses. And, and we will only offer things that these customers really want to be offered. Mm -hmm. It's not these, you know, interrupted by all these crazy upsells. We don't believe in that. It has to be meaningful for the customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, some of those experiences. So again, I think about my experience, 
you know, if I'm at a restaurant and I'm sitting there and just the way that technology has, and I really think it's come through, you know, since even the pandemic or it's been embraced more, but like the handheld to be able to like, just do my transaction right there at the table. I don't, you know, the, the server is not having to like, here's your ticket. And then they go away and then they come back, take my card and da, 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 you know, this whole dance. Instead, they're like, okay, you're ready. And they can just take my card and they scan it, boom, and we get it done. And a quarter of the time maybe that it was taken before so that they can continue to go on and serve their other guests. I love as well. I don't know if you guys are with this where they've got, I can just take a QR code and just pay my transaction, uh, my my ticket right there um, without even having to do anything with a card. And- We've got to imagine how long it takes how many times have you sat waiting for someone to come into there? You had the best service in the world. Yeah. And all of a sudden your server got busy and you were waiting for your check. It almost takes away that incredible experience because yeah. you need to get out of there, even especially if you have kids. And that QR code that we print that for that table, you take you scan it. I think it was like 20 seconds or something like that. That basically you're out. Yeah. You got a receipt, 20 seconds, you scan the QR code. Apple Pay, you're out the optical. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it is incredible, and I completely agree. It it helps con- continue or, or ride that continuity of great experience. So it 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 doesn't give any excuse or any opportunity for the guest or the client to have a bad experience. That business is removing that. You mentioned about challenges, and I want to ask you this. You talked about payroll, obviously, the the rising costs of payroll. Um, From your perspective, because you do work with so many small businesses, what are you seeing as some of the the major challenges that they're facing and some of the ways that you are seeing that folks are overcoming those challenges or maybe some, uh, some things that you and your organization can help them overcome? Yeah, so I think you, you touched on it, right? Labor. So if you have, you know, what we have with a handheld device, we have QR codes. Those things, what they do is they allow these servers to basically serve more customers faster. So they can turn tables, more tables. They're, a server at a restaurant walks miles uh, on a shift. And so if you can reduce the back and forth, so, you know, usually when someone comes up and asks for, uh, you come up and you get a drink order, can I get a drink order? So what do they do? They go in there, they take a drink order, they go back to the point of sale system, they put in the drink order, and then they have to come because they want you to get a drink order right away. So now imagine if you can go ahead and scan a QR code, get your drinks right away before the server comes to your table. And, you know, if you're hungry, you can start ordering your food immediately and they're on their handheld, they order the food, then they have to go back. You basically accomplished all that. The customer's happy they got the food quickly, even if they didn't want to use a QR code to order. Just the fact that the person can come in and say, uh, let me put your drink order in, send it to the kitchen. Not only is that server not walking back, but the kitchen is not getting inundated because what happens is the server, what they do is they take a drink order, they go to the next table, take another drink order, another drink order, so they don't have to make so many trips. And then all of a sudden the bartender gets inundated with all these drink orders all at once. So this really makes even the kitchen and the bar actually work more efficiently and that increases the value of that service. Mm. That's good stuff. I love what you guys are doing. It's making the world a better place. <laughs> I hope so. We're trying. We, you know, we, we're not perfect for sure. You know, we make our mistakes, but uh, uh, we, we do try hard. 
So here we are, Jerome. We're at the uh, the bottom of the ninth, and this is where I ask if you have any advice for the rookies in the game. I mean, you've been around. You've been on the bus for a long time. How about some advice, though, for those folks who are just maybe starting out in business or who already are in business and are maybe looking for some guidance, some words of wisdom? Yeah, I, I think one of the things... I- at the Wharton School that I learned, I, I had a professor. He was a very interesting guy. He looked like John Lennon, spoke perfect Mandarin. And he would give us a pass or fail test almost every day. And one day, uh, this janitor, you know, he's, he, he, this guy comes in all the time to clean our rooms, and we, we see the janitor there. And so the question on the test was, what's a janitor's name? Pass or fail. Not a single person passed the test that day. <laughs> and so what does that teach you? It, it really teaches you that everyone in an organization plays a role. And you need to respect everybody in the organization. And they're there to help your customers, help you do your job to the best of your abilities. And so that, that brings up the idea that, you know, if you care about all the people working with you and understand what each one of them does, they play a pivotal role in the success of your business, whether it's customer service, whether it's your cashier, whoever it is, it's your baker. It's the people who are working in the middle of the night, you know, baking your bagels. Each one of them, you have to show that compassion. You have to let them know that they're special. You need to listen to them because you learn from them. They know things you don't know, and they can teach you this. So that's one uh, piece of advice. The other piece of advice is you hire people who really make up for your weaknesses. And if you think about entrepreneurs, you, you would you would think that you know they're great they're operators or this usually an entrepreneur is a person with a lot of ideas if you did if you look at studies of entrepreneurs and you ask them what, what their desk looks like it's usually really messy right they're not organized because they're just constantly thinking they're distracted they, they, so you really need to figure out what your weaknesses are admit them to yourself and then hire people who complement those weaknesses in my organization I have these great pie people who are that no process can like process way more than I do. And we're, we're a good balancing act because I always tell them, I don't want the process to become the product. I want the process to help us get the product to the right people. And I think that balancing is really important. I think the next thing is delegate. Remember that those first days in my cafe, I wasn't doing a good job. I wasn't listening to my customers. I had no idea what they, you know, what was going on in front of because I was so busy doing everything else. I couldn't get my head above the weeds. And so you, you really need to delegate and allow people to do the work and don't do everything yourself. If you micromanage, you will lose. People won't want to work for you and you will not be able to do a great job. And lastly, I think entrepreneurs are a special breed. Don't give up. Just don't give up. You know, it, if you can't figure out something, fail fast and then pivot. That's a really, you know, I read a book, everybody should read it, I think Amp It Up. And basically it's, it tells you about, you know, be a driver, hire drivers, don't hire passengers. Hmm. You know, hire people who will help you grow your business and do things really well and drive the business forward. And I think that's really smart. Hmm. And, and that's, that's another thing that people should do. But I, I first of all, I want to thank all the entrepreneurs and business people who are listening to this. We love entrepreneurs. You're the lifeblood of our economy. Uh, we know how hard it is. Uh, we're here always to help, but you know, 
we have a special place in our heart for entrepreneurs. So I'm glad and, and thank you for what you do here. And it means a lot to all of us. Well, thank you. I'd tell you, and and thanks for being on the show. And I, I truly, actually, really appreciate and respect kind of the way that you approach business because you really do approach it with a a level of humanity and uh, empathy, service mentality. I think wanting to help your clients and customers, and it's a, a great position and to promote. So appreciate that. And thank you for being on the show. I do want to share as well, uh, folks that Daron and the folks at spot up are providing a special opportunity where you can save up to $500 on a new payment terminal or point of sale with spot on. And we'll have the URL at spoton.com slash offer. We'll have that in the show notes. So you can go and check that out and uh, appreciate that offer for our audience, uh, Duran. That's great. All right. Any last thing, anything that uh, you maybe wanted to say that we didn't get to? No, I, I think we covered it a lot. I mean, uh, I'm humbled to be on the show. I, I think this is great. And I really just want to wish all the entrepreneurs who watch this show I want to wish you the most amount of success and, you know, whenever we can do to help you out, we would love to help you out, but really just keep doing what you're doing and and help this economy grow and, and enjoy what you do too, because it's really special. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Daron. Really appreciate you having on the show. And folks, that's the ball game. Thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, tell your friends, subscribe, review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the bases with small businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.